there was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more so when they needed us we could make the podcasts that they never could like to cross over to feel so desperately that the comic is right yet to fail all the same dread it run from it March 2021 still arrives evacuate the network Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, a cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Sun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this... <laughs> Does put a smile on my face. the hell are you guys? The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event... Of vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. Take it away, there. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read it? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, 
do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And- <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. The <laughs> <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another Hell's Kitchen Horrific Blindtastic episode of Fan Holes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts for tonight, and I am not alone. I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow legal assistant fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike and Derek. Man, we should have tied this in with the Marvel's hottest new team, the Inhumans. Oh boy. And this is Justin number nine. Number nine, number nine, number nine, nine. Yeah, so in case you haven't figured out by the the hints, we're going to be discussing some Daredevil comics tonight. They actually tie in to one of, I think, the, you know, arguably one of the more fun, probably one of my personal favorite Marvel events crossovers, which is titled Acts of Vengeance. And if everything goes according to plan, we should be participating with a bunch of other awesome podcasters in an event titled the Mary Marvel Marching Society, which will be released sometime in March. So hopefully we will have a bunch of cool other podcasts for you guys to check out in the show notes. But for our purposes, the coverage of Acts of Vengeance specifically, we're going to be talking about Daredevil Issues 275, and 276, those fly the, you know, the upper right-hand triangle banner of Acts of Vengeance. And, of course, this was published by Marvel Comics. The cover dates of both issues are December 1989 to January 1990. So it's one of those clever, nasty whatevers that are on the cusp of the new year. And technically, they were on sale in October of 1989 and November of 1989. So they are, in actuality, 1989 comics, not from 1990. The cover price for both is a dollar, page count 32. The editor is Ralph Macchio. The writer is Anne Nocenti. The penciler is John Romita Jr. The inker is Al Williamson. The letterer is Joseph Rosen. And the colorist is, of course, it's labeled in the comic as Max Shield, but as longtime listeners will know from me, ranting on about it. It is actually Christy Shield. And so we talked about that on a previous podcast. The kind of high-level overview, the press blurb from things like previews and what have you reads, Acts of Vengeance comes for the man without fear. Daredevil has fought off some of the deadliest threats in the Marvel Universe, but can even he survive the might of Ultron and Doctor Doom? I say Dr. Doom because it's got a big question mark in the end of it. But so I, I kind of wrote up my own synopsis for the two issues and they kind of flow pretty well together. So I figure it's good to just kind of tell you what happens in the storyline. And we'll, we'll kind of go into Acts of Vengeance specifically maybe after we get through the issues and we start talking about what we think of them. So we open up on Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom's participation in the Acts of Vengeance sees the monarch of Latveria salvaging the parts of the previous 12 Ultrons to create Ultron 13. Doom has programmed Ultron 13 to kill Daredevil, the rival of his Acts of Vengeance associate, the Kingpin of Crime. Unbeknownst to Doom, Ultron 13's multiple personalities have the robotic destroyer only feigning obedience. He creates hundreds more Ultron as decapitated heads and is flown out to upstate New York to kill the man without fear. Daredevil is currently staying with his friends Brandy Ash and her father Skip. 
All three are currently looking after number nine. Number nine is an attempt to create the quote-unquote perfect woman using inhuman genetics. The inhumans, Karnak and Gorgon, along with their teleporting dog Lockjaw, have recently arrived seeking information on a missing child, Uhura Boltagon, who is heir to the Atlan throne. When number nine leaves the house on a run, she encounters Ultron 13 and his collection of spiked Ultron heads. He quickly blasts number nine, but is shocked to learn she is still alive after his attack. Dousing her body now covered in flames, he finds number nine has self-healing attributes. Perhaps missing his former companion, Jocasta, Ultron 13 decides number nine will be his perfect, indestructible woman. Though frightened, when number nine recovers, she engages with Ultron 13 in conversation. When she fears the schizophrenic robot is about to quote-unquote kiss her with his Kirby Crackle mouth breath, she screams. Karnak and Gorgon, having found no leads on the whereabouts of their king and queen's child, are about to take leave of the Ash homestead when Daredevil's heightened senses can hear number nine screams. Although the screams are barely able to be heard by the others, Daredevil rushes to nine's aid. Gorgon and Daredevil tag-team Ultron 13, enabling Number 9 to be released from his clutches. Karnak uses his ability to locate the weakest point in Ultron 13's design, which not only causes him to scream out in pain, but to blast all three heroes away from his immediate vicinity. Ultron 13 takes Number 9 back in his arms and begins to climb a hill littered with Ultron heads. Brandy and Skip arrive in their pickup truck with firearms and explosives, which Gorgon advises will do no damage to Ultron 13. Unfazed by their initial defeat, Daredevil drives off in the pickup truck, intending to ram straight into Ultron 13. Ultron 13 blasts the engine, but Daredevil leaps out in the nick of time. When number 9 tells Ultron 13 that she'll hate him if he's killed her friend, Ultron 13's madness turns self-destructive. He will win number 9's love by ripping out the offending circuitry. Like King Kong with Fay Ray, Ultron 13 ascends to the top of the hill with number 9, ripping out wiring from his own chest along the way. He very nearly rips off his own head when Daredevil's Billy Club strikes the non-Edmantium wiring, connecting his head to his chest. Ultron 13 slaps Daredevil away like a ragdoll and blasts Gorgon down the hill before he can sneak up on him. Daredevil gets his round of two power and slams a tree branch into Ultron 13's head while Karnak kicks his exposed circuitry. With a final mighty blow of Billy Club and tree branch, Ultron 13's head comes flying off his body. Although number nine reaches out to help Ultron 13, the headless body tumbles down the hill, dragging all the hundreds of Ultron heads with it. When Daredevil checks to see if number nine is okay, she asks to be alone for a while. She finds the head of Ultron 13 among the hundreds of others and buries it in the ground. Number nine thinks that one day she'll be able to hear the good voice of Ultron 13 again and revive him. And that is the two issues of Daredevil, the False Man, and the Hundred Heads of Ultron. So, I guess, like, wh what did you think, guys? And and I guess, you know, what what's your context for, for this run of Daredevil? Like, is this the first time you're reading it? Is this something that you have some experience with? I own these issues. I think I bought these at maybe a comic shop in a back issue bin pretty early on. And I've never read every installment of Acts of Vengeance. I've always wanted to, but I just never got around to it. But I really like these two issues. Your synopsis like hit on something that I had questions about. Like I owned a lot of these Anocente Ramita Jr. issues, but as far as like number nine, like I don't think I ever read her origin or anything. Like and I think she's only in like what five seven or eight issues it's it's funny too she doesn't she doesn't really appear very much ever again like a lot of people kind of lament like they think like oh maybe they follow up and do something with her in ultron 13 but i don't i don't think that ever happens but yeah i i've always enjoyed these two issues and it's fun to revisit them i hadn't read them in a long time like what made me buy these was ultron like you know i 
was buying lots of Avengers back issues in the day. And, you know, Ultron's one of my favorite Avengers bad guys. And I'm like, oh, wait, like uh, Ultron is the guy that, like, can give Thor and Hercules, like, yeah. a problem. Like, how is Daredevil going to, like, take down Ultron? Like, I have to read that. Like, that was basically the impetus for getting that. Like, you know, the whole cover, it's like, wait a minute, Daredevil can't be Ultron? Like, well, I guess he has to, or, you know, like, if he doesn't, he's dead, so I have to read that. And then maybe, you know, the past 10 years, I've said some unkind things about Romita Jr.'s art, because I think it's kind of really, really, really degraded. But I think he's really great here. Some of the, there are some panels of Ultron 13 where he looks a little too, I don't know, like anime-ish or too, it, it's like the head is definitely Ultron, but the rest of the body feels like it's, I don't know, stylized after something I can't quite place my finger on, and it's it's not quite Ultron except for the head. But other than that, like, I think his art and these issues are great, especially, like, that page in 275 where you see Doom holding Ultron's head, and he's, like, tapping on a keyboard. Like, that's a really great shot of Dr. Doom. Like, you look at that, and you're like, dude, like, that's Dr. Doom. Like, there's no, you know, there's no way you can screw that up. Like, that's, like, that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good shot. I can't. I've read some of Anosenti's An run on Daredevil. Like, I know I've read some, like, you know, John Romita Jr. Daredevil uh, issues. Like, I, I think I mostly read, like, the Typhoid Mary stuff. And, like, these two issues were really familiar to me, but I don't know if I've read them before. Like, I, like, I knew, like, I knew there was an issue or a pair of issues where Daredevil, like, and, like, Karnak and Gorgon fought Ultron, because, like, I, maybe it's, like, infamous or something, but I can't remember if I had actually read them before this. Like, maybe I just read some article or something that analyzed these issues or something, and that's where I'm, like, remembering it from. Yeah, maybe, like, like, Wizard or, or you know, yeah, some, something like that. Like, well, you know, when, 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 you know, someone does a list of, like, you know, like, oh, like, you know, amazing feats of Daredevil. Mm or something mm. it's like he beat ultron yeah, one yeah, time yeah. like wait what like how like and you know with a stick with a stick yeah so or maybe it wasn't like an achievement list for daredevil maybe it was like an embarrassment list for ultron to, or to, something to quote to quote killer croc it was a big stick it was a big <laughs> stick <laughs> But, uh, like, I don't remember anything about number nine, so maybe I didn't read them. So, like, but these did feel familiar to me. So, like, but, yeah, you're right, Justin. Like, John Romita Jr. is, like, really on his game here. Like, this is, you know, well, obviously, this is probably him in his prime, probably. And, yeah, like, that, especially those first few pages with Doom look, like, amazing. But I do, I do agree that Ultron himself looks a little, like... <sighs> I guess the best way to put it, and it's weird to say since like Ultron, you know, changes designs all the time, but he looks a little like off model, I yeah. guess. Like, like he doesn't look like any Ultron design you've ever seen before. Basically, like, like his head is shaped like Ultron only in like the vaguest of ways. Like you're like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, if you like kind of look at it closely, it's kind of the jack o' lantern sort of mouth grin or whatever, but. You know, you could easily say this was a different robot that wasn't related to Ultron at all, too. But yeah, his his body feels more like big guy from Big Guy and Rusty the Blue. Yeah, like rounded off, like uh -huh. all, like his arms especially. They look like kind of like like I want to say like dumpy almost. Like, but. You, you know what? You know what? It kind of reminds me of too is is two things like the fact that Ultron's design is familiar yet off-putting to you both it, it kind of reminds me and this is a little more of an extreme example but later in this run it, almost immediately after these issues daredevil would go on with karnak and gorgon and, and and folks to to basically he ends up in hell and they fight mephisto and blackheart and all that other kind of stuff and that design of mephisto i remember at the time it was very like what the fuck? Like, that's not, Meph you know, like, like that's not Mephisto, yeah. you know, and, and, and they would play with it later on. I remember some cool, you know, Ron Lim stuff where, you know, Ron Lim would have him morph into the, the John Romita Jr., you know, kind of slothy, you know, monstrous version <laughs> of Mephisto at some points and then morph back into kind of the traditional 
Busima, you know, Silver Surfer version of Mephisto and all that kind of stuff. And and part of Ultron's design in this to me evokes that where you you guys both are like, well, that's that's not quite Ultron, right? Like there's that element to it. And the other thing that this makes me think of is kind of like, I mean, I guess kind of where John Romita Jr. really got into the spotlight was the whole X-Men run. And it kind of reminds me of of Nimrod and all that stuff a little bit. Just that it's like, okay, it's a machine and it needs to have some tubing so you can see the joints. But, it, it you know, this could easily have been some kind of, you know, future Omega Ultron Sentinel or something. You know what I mean? Like, like not necessarily the Ultron, but some futuristic variant of it, you know, and that that's, I guess, kind of what, what I end up thinking of when you guys went into your sort of reservations about the character design. And just like Justin said, too, like, I, I've read parts of Acts of Vengeance, but I don't think I've read, like, all the tie-ins. So this is probably something I hadn't read before, but it, it just, like, I knew of it. Like, it feels familiar. I guess as for me, my context, like, I was trying to think about this. I think I might I might end up buying Daredevil 276 and sticking it on my spinner rack because that might have been a spinner rack comic because I I seem to have a recollection of when I own that it was a pretty beat up copy and I'm guessing if it was a beat up copy it was because it was you know sort of manhandled on a spinner rack type beat up you know with the the cracks you know where where it would have been on the spinner rack for people like you know sort of pulling it over the, the, the rack rails and that kind of thing. The 276, I definitely bought off the stands at some point, whether it was a spinner rack or not, because I remember having that. I remember buying a lot of these other Daredevil back issues, at you know, as back issues from, like, a comic shop. We kind of went into, like, my first Daredevil was pretty much immediately after the Frank Miller Born Again, which was the the Madcap issue, the 234, that didn't make me like a lifelong Daredevil reader, but I knew the Secret Wars figure. I picked up that issue based on that recognition. Obviously, Madcap left a a strong imprint with me and everything, but I I didn't consistently read Daredevil. I would see things, you know, the Punisher would show up and I'd kind of burn steal it, or, you know, Wolverine showed up and either I would buy an issue or maybe burn steal it or see what was going on. I remember all the Typhoid Mary issues. I remember reading them, kind of burn stealing them, but not actually buying them off the stands or from spinner racks. And then later, maybe getting them as back issues because it became this kind of, you know, oh, this was a big deal story and everything like that. I think the main times I would consistently buy Daredevil, and and this will probably go to prove their their sales points for doing these type of things early on. But you know, big crossovers like Inferno and Acts of Vengeance. Like I I know for sure. I bought all the Inferno tie-in issues of Daredevil. I know for sure I bought these Acts of Vengeance tie-in issues. And that cover to 276, like, you talk about what Justin's saying, like, how does Daredevil beat Ultron? Like, it's a very David versus Goliath type thing, you know? Like, that, that whole, like, and I think by this point, I'm sure if I had not read all 12 issues, I had read enough of Secret Wars you know, I probably at least had the first issue. I had issue 10. Like, I, I, I had enough issues. I think I had 1, 8, and 10 or something. But I had enough issues to know that Ultron, if you fought Ultron, you were in deep fucking shit. Like, like I knew that. And seeing Daredevil hanging out there, hunched over, like, looking like he'd been through hell, but he has an Ultron head on a stick, I was just like, holy fuck, how the fuck does that go down? Like, how does that happen? So, like, that cover, like, definitely drew me in. And and I guess it's worth going into the whole concept of Acts of Vengeance. Like, Acts of Vengeance, man, I could talk about that for days. Like, I, I know you guys are saying, like, you read some parts and not all parts or whatever. Like, I, I want to say I, I pretty... I don't know if I bought every single tie-in that came out at the time, but I definitely read them all at some point, you know, one point or another, and it's a great concept. It's a fantastic fucking concept. Like, the idea of, it's like, look, we've been trying to beat up, 
you know, it's like, it's like, you know, Kingpin's like, I've been trying to beat the shit out of Daredevil for years, and I can't fucking do it. So then these villains all get together, and they basically go, well, hey, if you're, you're having trouble with your guy for all these years, you guys are all familiar with each other's techniques, and that's why you're always failing. So, hey, let's do a swapsies. You know, let's, let's have somebody else take them on. And in this case, you kind of have Doom sending Ultron after Daredevil, which is probably very lopsided, but also, again, it fits, it fits the modus operandi. Daredevil has no idea who Ultron is. He doesn't know what to expect. And conversely, I guess Ultron doesn't know what to expect with Daredevil as well. And, and so, you know, it plays out how it plays out. But that was the whole concept for, like, the, and, and it worked in a way that it, it's funny because a lot of these crossovers end up tying into the entire line of books, but it's not very organic. You know, it's, it's very forced. Like, guess what? We're going to, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, let, let me pick some shit crossover, but it's like, you know, Millennium or fucking, uh, you know, I don't know, Secret Invasion or what, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever crossover bums you out, Fear Itself. Like, everybody's got to have fucking Tron outfits and shit, and it's it's just this <laughs> horrible fucking bullshit. That's the tie-in that everybody has Tron outfits? Like, come on. Like, and it's like, it, you know, but this is a lot more organic in the sense that, guess what? Everyone can do the 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 opponent swap. Everyone can give it a shot, and not only can they give it one shot, it's it's not like one of those things where, like, you read an event like Armageddon 2001, and you're like, how many fucking times does fucking Wave Rider have to touch Batman and fucking Superman just because they have multiple titles? Like, you'd think if you looked into this guy's future once, he'd be fucking covered, right? But no, they gotta do it two or three times, right? Because they have multiple titles. Well, in this sense, doing the, the hero-villain swap you can you can do this for you know spectacular. You can do it for web. You can do it for amazing. Because you know what we we can keep trying. You know like different villains can keep coming at them in different ways, and you have all kinds of cool shit. I mean, this is where I was introduced to the you know beloved Brothers Grimm. I didn't know who they were, but I knew who Spider Man was, and I was like, man, these guys are cool. Or like Dragon Man, like frying Spider Man in the subway. Like I thought that was the coolest Dragon Slayer shit ever, but like on a superhero scale, you know. So like, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Like and and Cosmic Spider Man. Like I I love all that shit. The 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 Red Skull getting uh, tracked down by Magneto, like, all this shit was super fucking cool to me, and, and I really liked it. And, and, and again, this Daredevil run, like, the Annocenti, I think, I, I kind of feel like saying, like, and not, not in a, I guess, ownership way or anything, but, like, I, I feel like this was my era of Daredevil, you know, like, that, that th- these were the issues that were coming out when I was actively collecting comics and buying comics and I sporadically followed them and because I enjoyed them that led me to either fill in my gaps with back issues or you know check out you know the Frank Miller run and you know of course this led to me buying probably my favorite Daredevil story which is The Man Without Fear which is again John Romita Jr. but with Frank Miller you know so I I mean for me like I, I think these stories are a lot of fun. I mean, there's a little hypocrisy in me. Like, if I'm going to make fun of, you know, Tony Stark for being on an island in his diaper, you know, fighting his own suit of armor, you know, there is that sense of hypocrisy where it's like, oh, well, how does Daredevil beat Ultron? It's like, uh, he beats him with a stick, you know? And that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But I could understand if, you know, people want to mudsling some mud back my way, you know, because of this, because I'm, I'm accepting of this, but not Tony Stark in his underwear. But I, I still think this is a fun read. And also, I think the fact that he's got a lot of guest stars and there's a lot of other characters involved. There's even that, that weird, almost Terminator sense of, you know, we're going to run the Terminator over with a car. Or we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to have Gorgon try to sneak up on him and, and body slam him. We're going to have, you know, Karnak. Of course, Karnak, I think, is the key in this. Like that, if you want a no prize, like all this kind of stuff, like why does a billy club and a stick hurt Ultron? Well, you know, the, the, the two moments where Karnak manages to lay a hit on Ultron. And on top of that, I mean, the argument I would probably make is 
Ultron's his own worst enemy. His multiple personalities or his schizoid nature, like the way he was, this version of him was built, you know, like he's he's in total conflict with himself the entire time. And he essentially just self-destructs like he's his own worst enemy. He's the one ripping out his own circuitry. It's not so much like Karnak, you know, landed two awesome blows and it proved his undoing. It's the combination of. He's ripping out his own circuits. Karnak got two good hits. And then Daredevil's the hero of the piece because it's his fucking comic. And then he gets the billy club and, and bitch slap him with the fucking tree branch. And that's that's kind of how it goes. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, maybe uh, another thing that might be worth talking about and, and I, I think Justin would have some passion about is, like, I guess... For me, this is the second time I encountered the Inhumans ever. So I, I, I would think the first time was Fantastic Four. You know, I was buying the the Steve Englehart run, you know, the, the new Fantastic Four. So Crystal was a part of that. And at certain points, especially in the Evolutionary War, the Inhumans were featured. And that's probably the first time I saw the entire group of the Inhumans, but this would be the second time, and they, they do go on to really play, I mean, they, they, Karnak and Gorgon were pretty much part of his supporting cast for at least, like, the next half year, you know, so I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. What about you, Justin? Had you read tons and tons of Inhumans comics before you got to this point? Like, what, what what's your context in terms of, of I guess, this two-part storyline? I've yeah I've always loved the Inhumans. Uh, I know Mike likes to take shots at them, you know, because they got that big push when you know Fox still owned uh, you know the X Men. So Marvel's like, well, we got the Inhumans and we're gonna make them just as good. I I've read a lot of those comics, and I mean, I'm a huge X Men guy, but I also like the Inhumans. So part of me was happy they were getting the push, even if I didn't like some of their creative choices. But at this point, I. Had I read like a ton of Inhumans comics? No, to be perfectly honest, but I knew who they were and I had read some of them. I I think I knew who they were just from flipping through my uncle's back issues of Fantastic Four. I'm like, oh, these like they, these guys are the Inhumans and you know, kids at school, they're like, oh man, like Black Bolt, like he's super powerful. He can go toe to toe with anybody and he can't talk or it'll kill him. I was like, okay, that sounds great. I think where I first started reading the Inhumans was in those Amazing Adventures issues, and maybe that kind of goes into my like love for Black Widow because Amazing Adventures was like a '70s book, and it was you know it was kind of like the old tales to astonish, tales of suspense, where you know maybe the first half of the book would be a Black Widow story, and maybe the second half you'd have you know the Inhumans running around doing something, fighting Maximus or or whatever. I know I had some some of those issues, and I know my uncle had some some rough, you know, what I referred to as reading copies. Like he didn't care if they, you know, they were mangled. Like he had like very fine issues, like you know, slabbed in the box. So these ones over here, if, you know, in poor condition or whatever. Like he you know, he didn't care. So that's usually what I would treat as my personal reading pile. I read a lot of those, and then I I'm trying to think. I want to say, wasn't there a solo in Humans book in the late 70s that ran for maybe 10 or 12 issues? Like, I know yeah, I read... Yeah, like Perez, I think, did the art yeah. on those. Yeah. Uh-huh, I, yeah. I remember, I remember reading some of those, and then, you know, you, if you want to talk about, like, characters you followed, like, if they were guest stars that would get you to buy a book, like, I, I say the Inhumans were would fall into that category for me. I don't know. I've, I've always liked them and I always appreciated when Marvel tried to, to push them, even if it was like stuff in the nineties where you had like, you know, Namor and the black Knight involved. And, you know, they were, they tried to tie the Inhumans into Atlantis and they raised Atlantis or, or, you know, maybe in the mid two thousands where they like took the humans into space and they were leading the Kree empire. Like I thought all that stuff was great. You know, crystal, like ended up getting married to Ronan and I was like, well, that's not going to work. And then towards the end of it, you're like, I'm kind of cool. I'm kind of pulling for these two crazy kids. Like I hope they pull through and then, and then they don't. And you're like, Oh man, like that's, you know, stuff like that. I always find intriguing, but yeah, like I, I've always been a big a fan of the humans. Did you, did you continue to read Daredevil because of Karnak and Gorgon's appearance? Or was that kind of pre, does that predate your, your, love passion for the inhumans 
I think it predates it. Like I, I'm pretty sure I, I wasn't buying Daredevil on a month-to-month basis at this point. I think I was just, I think at this point I was just kind of treating Daredevil as something I would buy if something like caught my eye, like these two issues, or if I found like you know five copies for really cheap, or or something like that. I mean, I I've always liked Daredevil. But I, I think in my early reading days, I kind of treated him as, I don't know, third string maybe. And I, I kind of hate to say that because I did, like I said, I did own and read a lot of these in the Sente Ramita Jr. books and I liked them. But I think I think I was just like at that young age where like, yeah. you know, X-Men was like, you know, the itch I needed to like scratch constantly, which probably like, you know, shows you like I was a you know 90s kid buying like you know number one issues and you know treated them like they were gold and stuff but yeah no, but you, you know you know the the vibe that i got rereading this was like that it was like the the mcdonald's express version of vertigo comics like that there's <laughs> there it's not it's not quite as wacky nutballs as like a morrison comic book but like yeah but like there, there's that weird like because I, I was trying to quantify like my my personal, I guess, comics career with titles like that. And when I was young, I, 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 the reason why I agree with you, Justin, is when I was young, I knew what comics were marketed to kids and teens. And, you know, and for me, I was a very bread and butter. I liked superheroes. So I was never the type of guy that was like, oh, I want to I want to read some head trippy, you know, uh, you know, fucking blue cupcakes, like wackadoo shit. Like I, I it, that was never anything I sought out. And if I saw anything marketed that way, like this is for adults, like Sandman is for adults. Like I knew of Sandman, you know what I mean? Like I knew of Vertigo stuff, but I mean, aside from maybe Swamp Thing, which I had a really strong connection to because of the films and because of my mother's love for Bernie Wrightson and all this other stuff, like, outside of that, like, I I, I was never one to pursue, like, you know, those type of books. And I, I think, you know, reading this, like, I mean, a good example, I think, is Typhoid Mary. Like, that's the kind of thing you read, like, The Dark Knight Returns, where, like, you read shit about, you know... Catwoman being tied up in a Wonder Woman costume, and you don't, you don't really know what you you just kind of yeah. read it and you glaze over it, and you have no concept of what's going on there. And the same thing with like Typhoid Mary, like the the way she she kind of plays the kingpin and plays Daredevil, and 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 this kind of weird perverse love triangle they have you know like like none of that stuff really it, it kind of all goes over your head and i think and and this is going to get back to the actual issues in context i kind of think that's why you guys even if you had read these like why you don't remember number nine because because that she's one of those things where it's like she's slightly forgettable kind of like a uh, Mark Grunewald, you know, Jack Flagg character, where you're just like, wait, mm. who's this? But then there's that weird twist of like, you know, th- 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 this was a vehicle to talk about, you know, feminism and a vehicle to talk about what the inter- you know, what a male interpretation of a perfect woman is versus a woman's interpretation of what a perfect woman is and, and, and the kind of battles that that or, or discussion that that would ensue, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not super heavy, you know, but it is inserted in there. I mean, the, the character that, you know, the, the, the Ash family, I guess, or whatever, you know, like this, this woman Brandy, like she was supposed to be like this, animal rights activist and like her father you know was probably you know the the one running the farm right so there was this kind of uh, clash you know this is clash between uh you know ideologies there right and then out of that like the reason why the inhumans just like stroll up to their house like it's no big deal is like he was using inhuman genetics to make these kind of they're not really clones. It's more like you remember how they tried to retcon, uh, 
retcon. They tried to retcon Gwen Stacy in the Evolutionary War. Like, it wasn't a clone uh-huh. of Gwen, but it was like some other lady, like, strolled in, and she was genetically modified to look like Gwen. So I think the concept of number nine is there were all these chicks that, like, strolled in, and it's like, hey, you want to be genetically modified? And I guess they were, like, either hard up or, you know, whatever the backstory was, right? So then there are all these in these experimental tubes, and the one that comes out of it that's kind of like, I don't know, she, she's she's perfect, but yet there's still things that are flawed with her, is this character number nine, right? And so that they follow this character for the few issues that they do, and then unfortunately there's not too much that's done with it. You know, it's 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 almost like she's a vertigo version of like star girl somehow you know what i mean like it's 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 like it's it's got this cutesy kind of americana veneer like barbie or anything iconic like that but then there's also uh this kind of kind of you know the the more darker or adult or things that would you know fly over your head when you're a kid and you just want to read a superhero read, you know, a, a meat and potato superhero comic. You know, all you really want to see is Daredevil punch the shit out of Ultron, right? But in the background, yeah. in, there's this kind of little storyline subplot going on where it's like, hey, you know, check this out. Check this girl out. And it's like, she's she's happy to see Daredevil. And, and Daredevil has that inner monologue about, you know, well, Brandy says these good things and she professes these good things, but she seems like a meaner and nastier person then this person who who is almost a blank slate. She has no ideology. All she really wants to do is what she's been programmed to do, which is to make men happy, right? And he's 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 having that little inner monologue and wrestling with all that kind of stuff. And 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 that's going on amidst this kind of event. So it doesn't you know the the, the thing that's interesting about that is this doesn't completely blow apart any story that Anne Nocente was trying to tell. And, like, and, 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 you know, we talk about people's pet characters and baby characters and all this other stuff. Like, the, the interesting part is they had that in Humans graphic novel uh, a little bit before this, and that all ties in with this, right? And I was trying to put the pieces together because I couldn't remember it all. And it's like, oh, you know, Karnak and Gorgon are searching for Medusa's child. And the child was introduced in the graphic novel. It's almost like, um, you know, the the son of the demon, you know, like the Damian Wayne of the Inhumans, right? Like, Damian Wayne and uh, what's-his-nuts Boltagon, I can't, you know, I'm like, I wrote it down, Ahura Boltagon, like, they, they should they should team up, you know? They should, they should meet uh, Amalgam Fuckface, whatever that dude's name is, and they should have an adventure, because, like, they're... They're of the same lineage type thing, you know, like they're, they're contemporaries like, uh, you know, Hamlet and Fortinbras. Like they should just like hang out and like do things together and stuff like that. But anyway, I was trying to put together all that stuff in my head and I was like, oh yeah, cause Anne Nocente wrote that Inhumans graphic novel. And so she's bringing, she's bringing some of that into, into Daredevil, not, you know, totally steamrolling Daredevil, but, you know, I, and 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 to me, it's interesting because this this point in Daredevil's life, it's almost like uh, you know when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are just hanging outside of New York. You know, like after they get their asses kicked by the Foot and Shredder, it's like, you know, this is after Daredevil, you know, got smacked down by the Kingpin. This is after you know this. It's after Born Again and and after you know, the typhoid Mary shit and all this other stuff, you know, it's like, okay, he's, he's, he's kind of taking a chill pill from like hell's kitchen in New York city and, and, and kind of doing, doing his own thing for a little bit, you know, but it's also still, I guess, you know, aside from the whole concept of acts of vengeance and taking part in this event, it, it's still furthering, you know, the, the story that was originally being told. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for that. So, I mean, and I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoyed revisiting this, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I know Mike's not as enthusiastic about the Inhumans, but maybe, maybe something that would be fun to go into is, you know, like, I, I know, again, you weren't like super keen on Ultron's appearance in this, but I know, like, Ultron's more a character that's more near and dear to your heart. And, like, in terms of context, like, before this, I guess there was, you know, Ultron 11 and 12, like, fighting each other in West Coast Avengers. You know, it was, like, the 
the what what was it the the good one that's like hey dad what's up bro you know like that Ultron and then yeah, and then Mark yeah Mark and then and then the Ultron that I was talking about that I knew was a super badass from Secret Wars like he comes back and you know basically you know takes out Mark and tries to strap up Hank Pym and kill him and all that kind of stuff and then the only other the only other context and I'm not sure exactly where this falls but in terms of publishing like Emperor Doom that we covered on this podcast like a long time ago like that has Ultron cuz Namor goes to like do the whammy on him cuz Purple Man's shenanigans are not going to work on machines like you remember that sequence where they take out like Machine Man and all those guys and one of them was Ultron so like those those are the two appearances prior to to this appearance and I think after that there there's a lot of comics that we covered too but mainly West Coast Avengers comics you know he 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 makes another bride for himself you know he uh you know, he appears in the Vision miniseries, you know, like th- those kind of things that, that follow this. But, you know, I mean, I, I, again, I, I think it's a fun David and Goliath type thing. I mean, again, you, you know, feel free to sling mud back about, you know, Tony Stark being in diapers on an island. But, you know, I, I, I guess I either I'm, I wasn't cynical enough that I could enjoy this at the time I read it. And I still appreciate it, or you know that you know I have a hypocritical double standard, and you know whatever. But that's that's kind of what I got on Ultron as far as that goes. I mean, I do, I do like to make fun of the Inhumans as they are currently and have been like you know ever since they tried to put push them in like the multimedia area of Marvel. But I, you know, I do like the Inhumans like in their like you know classic roles and yeah i really liked war of kings like like uh, justin said so like but like i I can't help but make fun of them sometimes now because of you know the way they were kind of like forced on us like maybe not not even five years ago probably so i think another thing worth mentioning or that that i wanted to mention was you know and you talk about how great the art in this is and I, I think one key ingredient that is missing from the later art, where, whether you guys like it or have criticisms of it for John Romita Jr., is his inker for pretty much, like, or the inker on Daredevil, like, not just John Romita, but, but the John Romita Jr., but the inker for Daredevil from issues 248 to 300 was Al Williamson. So, like, that's, I mean... The, you know, Flash Gordon, the Star Wars newspaper strip, like that Al Williamson inked all these issues, you know? And, and so there's a, there's a, w- a quote from Wikipedia that I just think is worth reading. It says, Daredevil penciler John Romita Jr. recalled that working with Al Williamson was much like working with my father in that I felt I was protected from mistakes. If my art wasn't correct, then Al would repair it. Oddly enough, Al said he never had to fix anything, claiming he just traced over my pencils. In a 1988 interview, Williamson indeed stated that I'm just tracing his pencils and claimed that the only changes he made were occasionally leaving out an unnecessary background if he was in a rush. Now, there's probably a lot of kind... PR and everybody waxing everybody's cars and everything, but I bet you there's a little truth in both of those things, you know, uh, and there's probably a reason why you guys are more drawn to this art than maybe some later art, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, the way John Romita Jr. kind of evolved is like he was draw- drawing fairly close to his father, it seemed mm-hmm. like, and then like eventually, you know, he got I don't want to say like sketchier, but like, he, you know, his pencils were like he found his own identity basically yeah. as a penciler. And he got like like it's almost like blockier. Or yeah. cu- like he used yeah. like more cubism in his work. I mean, to, to me, the 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 character that I think most exemplifies the, the change in his style or the the discovery of his identity of style is the Punisher. Like if you look at the Punisher in, say, you know, a Spider-Man comic versus in a Daredevil comic and then jump to Punisher Warzone where he decided, okay, the Punisher is going to have this, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better term, you know, he's going to have this kind of 
blocky, large-nosed, you know, kind of world-weary kind of face, right? Like, that. I, I remember that was almost as drastic a departure as the Mephisto look or, or what you guys were talking about with Ultron's, you know, character design in this. And it, it's something that you had to, you know, kind of like cubism or something. You know, it was a style you had to become accustomed to. And if you did, then you did. And if you never did, you know, because I know some people, they just, you know, they could never get over that kind of stuff. But for me, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, I, I became used to those stylistic interpretations of the characters. So I, I don't think that kind of stuff bugs me nearly as much as it does other people. I just kind of kind of roll with it for the most part. Although I, I do, you know, when I was younger, I remember having that initial reaction to Mephisto, kind of going, what? Like, this this isn't Mephisto. And then, of course, the, the continuity nerd in me loved it when, I think it was like Infinity War or one of those titles where, you know, Ron Lim had Mephisto, like, morph into the giant monster to, like, sort of try to intimidate, you know, someone or whatever, you know. But, yeah, I mean, that's... I guess that's just kind of how, how he rolls or whatever. But I, I, I do think Al Williamson probably ha- has a lot to do with, with, you know, why people enjoy the artwork on this particular run. Even though it came first, I kind of think of that version of Mephisto as like the Melbosia version because he's so like yeah. you know, weirdo yeah. monster-like. He's got that, that big belly and, yeah. And the tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's, that's your next Build-A-Figure, Derek, the Malbosia version of, of Mephisto. Of Mephisto? Mm. Green light it, Larry. Yeah, I, I suppose. The the other thing, too, is I guess maybe we're more likely to get that as a Marvel Select figure since it's like the devil and you can't stick the devil in Walmart or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as much as I love, you know, Son of Satan, you, you're not going to walk into Walmart and be like, gee, I can't find the Son of Satan Marvel Legend figure. I wonder why. <laughs> where Where is my Satana when I need it? Yeah. Speaking of that, though, I think it's a damn shame we have no uh, Inhumans Marvel Legends. Like, I mean, other than Medusa they and Black, Black Bolt. Bolt. and Medusa, yeah. I think they missed their window. Yeah, they, yeah. they totally did. They totally did. Have you seen that um, there was the, uh, what is it? I forget, the 112 Mezco. Like, I think that Black Bolt with the Lockjaw finally came out, even though it's, like, super expensive. But there's that part of me that's like, a Lockjaw, you know? Well, I mean, it could have been worse. They could have wasted an entire wave of Marvel Legends on, like, the TV and humans or something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That could have been mm. That could have been an eventuality as well. What what about I know I know you guys said you probably haven't read everything from Acts of Vengeance, but is is there anything you want to you know like since this is kind of a a tie into uh, an Acts of Vengeance type podcasting event, like is is there any stories you want to share about you know Acts of Vengeance or, or or favorite moments that you have from that or you know the, just, just anything you particularly enjoy about that event or good memories you have from it to be perfectly honest the only other thing that sticks out aside from these two issues is the magneto red skull stuff that's yeah that's a great issue yeah yeah like i remember that and you know i remember obviously like cosmic spider-man and stuff like that but i like i don't think i've read a whole lot of acts of vengeance it's one of those things where you're like when you're a little kid and you play with your toys or you I don't know, you're on the playground and you're pretending, you're like, well, Magneto is going to team up with the Red Skull. And then you read something like that and you're like, well, of course they wouldn't work together. Like, I'm such a fool. <laughs> you know, it's like you you, you completely <laughs> like overlook, you know, key parts of the background. You know, just being a little kid, you're like, well, of course, all the bad guys are going to work together. You know, like we're we're doing Secret Wars 4 and Magneto and Red Skull and Lizard and Molecule Man. Like they're going to fight all the good guys. And you're like, oh, I don't think Magneto and Red Skull are ever going to work together. I, I, I always I always loved the idea of the it, it was a way of having a, you know, a Legion of Doom concept. But it was tenuous. You know, I always liked that there was still a cabal of villains 
they, they there was still this hierarchy where there were the low level guys like the Brothers Grimm. You know, you just send those guys into the field and they fuck shit up and try to take on Spider Man. But really, they're just you know soldiers or pawns or fodder. But the main generals, you know, it was it was Kingpin, Doom, Magneto, the Skull, the Wizard. Mandarin, you know, like key players, and 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 you know, of course, you know, spoilers, you know, like fucking what is it now, like fucking forty year old, I don't know how, however, it's like fucking really old, not forty, but probably like what, like 30 something year old spoilers. The the uh, vanglorious benefactor that brings these characters all together. They meet in some secret vanishing point where there are these magic doors that just appear in their either Doom's castle or, you know, uh, Kingpin's office, you know, like all these places. They step through the door. They're in the little facility, the Cabal. They can make their machinations and everything. And, of course, it turns out, you know, adults, fools, I've been trying to kill the Avengers for years and you guys still fuck it up. And it's Loki. And it's just like... You know, that was one of those things where, for me, I had recently, or maybe, you know, at least had read enough of the Avengers because I had those Marvel masterworks. I knew the whole, you know, I had read Avengers number one. I knew the whole thing. And when that reveal came, it was just like, that makes so much sense. You know, like, oh, this, you know, it was like one of those things where, I, you know, I, it wasn't a stupid Jeff Lowe reveal. It wasn't, you know, something that made no sense to me. And, and of course, I wasn't super cynical or anything like that. But there was no reason to be cynical. Like, this, that reveal was, to me, like, was perfection. Like, it made so much sense. Like, his whole thing is... He's like, I blame myself. I created these stupid Avengers. I was hoping you fucktwads would would destroy them for me. I guess I'll just have to fucking do it myself. You know, like, and I, I just thought that was, like, super cool. So, yeah. All right, well, I think, I don't know, you guys got anything else? Number nope. nine, number nine. Number nine? Number nine. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, then, I think this is going to do it for tonight. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the fan holes talk about our portion of acts of vengeance these two issues of daredevil and if you should so choose go to the show notes and we'll have links to any other participating podcast comrades that are covering acts of vengeance stories and of course you can find us on all kinds of streaming you can find us on stitcher radio google play spotify I, I think I need to throw this in because I'm, I'm pretty sure I got us on Amazon Music now, so you can find us there. We can be found on Apple Podcasts. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. If you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We hope you consider checking out the backlog of episodes over on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any questions or concerns, if you're like, damn you, sir, you will admit that Tony in a diaper is just like Daredevil smacking Ultron with a stick. You can send them to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, ripping out of circuits, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. Signing off. And this is Justin. Why was I programmed to feel pain? Just keep ripping out wires. You'll, you'll, it'll stop soon. You'll find the right one eventually. Yeah. Can you feel it the perfect day?
wires are slippery (laughs) it's all like this blood and stuff like what the hell these aren't wires these are intestines okay don't say anything bad about Derek because I'm sending him this recording I wouldn't say anything bad about shh like you did the other day Hey, Derek, here is the audio file you requested for the Axe of Vengeance, or Smacks of Vengeance, as I like to call it. You ready to go? <clears throat> no, I have to find the line. I think your, line. your line is, warm diet to, warm diet to, thanks. Actually, you need to say, and get this man a cold Mountain Dew, and then I say, warm diet to, thanks. Okay. That's, <clears throat> yeah. That would you make you, you worked with them to change those lines? Yes, because originally it says, and get this man a cold Mountain Dew. And I said, oh, I said, well, how about we change my line from thanks to warm diet Dew. Thank you. So just you want it to be cold Mountain Dew. Yes. My suggestion is, and I'm saying this out loud because I want Eric, when he gets to recording, to know that we try it like four consecutive times. This way he could just pick the best recording. Yeah, I had told him since I thought I was just going to record it separately, I was going to try different things, but I'll just... Uh... You could try whatever different things in the you <laughs> want, and, and as long as there's a gap in between you speaking and my speaking, he could pick the best best of each, and he can mix and match if he wants. Well, I was thinking to have Arnold go, no, you need the warm one, and I'd say, shut up, I can get my own drink. Yeah, give me a warm one. Thanks. Yeah, something like that. Well, he's got that now recorded. <laughs> so he can well, I was going to work that in, too. Of course, the cat just... Hey, Derek. Mike here. Surprise. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Cold? What are you, out of your mind? Give me a warm diet Dew. Thank you. And now I'll do the second line. <clears throat> Gotta do some panting first. <laughs> Hope no one walks in who's listening to this. Could get weird. Anyway, um, three, two, one. Yeah, you just say evacuate the network. I know my talk. lines. I, know I mean, my lines. that's all you, you don't have say? to tell me. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if there was more. I, 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 I got my vote of my motivation down. I haven't been privileged to the entire big group thing, uh, so I have no well, idea. Well, neither have I, I but when I say, and get this man a warm mountain, uh, cold oh, Mountain Dew, okay. you, you just pick up your line there, right there. That's your cue. Don't gotcha. don't miss your mark. Got it. No, no, he needs to be warm. What is wrong with you? Thanks, Arnold. I can order my own drink. Yeah, warm diet too. Thanks. Unless you think you wanted to try some other ways. Nah, that's good. I feel like uh, Vin Diesel. I mean, how many how many different ways can I say I am Groot? <laughs> this is a promo, I take it, for Derek's show? Yeah, he's going to do, uh, what's it called, the, 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 <laughs> the Acts of Vengeance. Oh, oh okay. So. Gotcha. Yeah, he, told, he, a, he said we're the linchpin of the uh, promo. The linchpin. I, th- I think that may just be stroking our egos. If I and, tell them they're the linchpin, they'll record it quicker. 
That's probably because we're the heaviest people, right? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're holding it down from blowing away. The rock and the anchor. But you know, I'm, I'm, but I am wearing my DS9 hat while I'm doing this. So, oh, well, mine's here at my desk. I am in. I am in debt to Derek. Yeah, I owe him a life debt. <laughs> the Red Skull, Kingpin, Magneto, the Wizard, and the Mandarin have banded together under the wise and glorious leadership of the one and only Doctor Doom to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before.